Welcome to the History of Alaska one-on-one sessions. I'm Junior Francis. This series celebrates the Skia Rocksteady and vintage reggae scenes in Southern California and beyond through insightful conversations with legends and modern day players, including those behind the scene. So whether you watch us on YouTube or listen on, uh, as a podcast, thanks for your support over the years. We really and truly wanna thank you. And we, of course, can always get more viewers, but we really thank you for paying attention and of course, spreading the word of all your friends go online and watch. Today, we welcome John Norwood Fisher, a founding member and a celebrated basis for Los Angeles based on for Los Angeles own innovative and legendary ska punk funk reggae soul group Fishbone. Welcome Norwood. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, I've seen you a couple of times. We met officially at the Grammy Museum. So really and truly glad to yes. see your presence. <laughs> Let's uh, begin by talking about, I guess, um, your new website, you have a new website. Uh, it's called Being Human is a Full-Time Job, a T-shirt design. What inspired you and such a unique name, which is not unusual for Fishbone? Well, you know what? It, it, it actually, you know, it, the, the phrase came from like, you know, one of my dearest friends was actually having a hard moment. Mm. And you know, it was, it just was something that, that, you know, when you look at the, the, the state of humanity in the personal, you mm -hmm. know, there's the macro, the way the world is, but every day a mother that has to take care of her children, a father that's going to work, the stresses and strains of just, just trying to live in the world you know, it's, it it can be heavy, and it's a statement of understanding. You know, empathy. It's because we all live it, right? Being human is a full time job. Yeah, it was kind of confusing at first, but thanks for the experience. <laughs> <laughs> so being like human, this, you know, to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. right about that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, the, the pandemic, Russia and United States, and they're getting ready to go to war, among other things, you know. Homelessness yeah. running rampant all over the world, and especially here in Southern California, uh, where we live. So we see that daily. Yeah, it's definitely a full-time job. Yeah, when I think about my parents, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? My father, my mother, my grandmothers. Mm -hmm. Are they know? all alive? No. Mm -hmm. I'm a, my 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 mother and father are now my grand my, now my grandmother. Right. Well, I guess your parents must be proud of you based on your accomplishment, the things you've accomplished over the years. Toward you know what, my parents awesome. were very supportive. Nice. You know, like like and and you know, me and my brother grew up in in our mother's home. Mention his name for your your, your brother's uh, name. Fish, the original yes. drummer for Fishbone. Yes. Fish. Yes. To the, the namesake of the band, mm -hmm. ultimately. So you know, she was super supportive, and and uh, you know that in, in in and of itself, I, I look at it now. I go, there had to be a difficulty to like us having our friends over on a regular basis, making a shit ton of noise, like you know, banging away, honing our craft. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And um, South Central Los Angeles is your place of birth? No, I was born in San Diego. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, me and my brother born in San Diego. So I'm 100% Southern California. Yes, without a doubt. But then you- All my memories are of Los Angeles. When I was two, we moved to Watts. Yes. Right? So that was 19, my brother's born in 1967. I'm born in 65. Mm -hmm. And so you so, grew up in South Central. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I believe uh, most of the founding members are also from South Central. Are these guys you grew up with? Um, we met in school. Mm -hmm. What schools? Uh, George Ellery Hale Junior High School, H-A-L-E. Let's hope we can inspire some youngsters to um, take up music. You know what? I'm, and, and I'm about that. That really is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, uh, to, to, to be a, a founder of what, what will soon, this year, I hope, be the Watts Conservatory of Music. Mm -hmm. with, 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 with uh, co-founders is Flea from yeah. the Red Hot Chili Peppers because he's right. at the Silver Lake Conservatory. And I introduced him to a good friend of mine where I went to high school in my own neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton High School. Right. And, uh, and so um, David Moss is the other co-founder and we actually both went to Hamilton. Mm -hmm. We didn't become really become friends until recent years, but you know, in the last ten years or mm -hmm. so. Right, and uh, you know, I think we should acknowledge all the members of Fishbone. Perhaps you could name them and uh, say who they are. Yeah, Angelo Moore, mm -hmm. saxophone lead vocals, Chris Dowd, keyboards, vocals, Dirty Walt. Uh, trumpet vocals, Kendall Jones, uh, guitar and vocals. We, I mean, most of us sang except for Fish, but that that's the original lineup. Currently, we have have Mark uh, Mark Phillips on guitar, and quite a few people have come through. I ain't naming I'm, I'm anybody, sure. but we love mm -hmm. them all. We appreciate the contribution they made to keeping the Mm -hmm. Keeping the locomotive, cap, capital L O C O, locomotive going. <laughs> and boy, it has been going. <laughs> yeah. We're just rumbling from, from the very onset and still rumbling. Yes. But you guys did a tour. Uh, I know you had quite a few dates this past November 2021. Well, we, we did December. We did a good like, yeah. a West Coast run. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, was it stopped? Was it successful? Was it to your liking? Oh, it was it was phenomenal. Where are some of the places you played? Uh, we started in Bend, Oregon, went to went to Portland, Seattle, did two shows in San Francisco, and and ended that particular leg of the run in uh, in San Luis Obispo. If I were to make an intelligent guess, I guess pack house every stop. Pretty much, man, and like. Yeah, and it's hard to say which one was the top, like, you know, because it's the West Coast. So 
and you tour enough, once you get past the Rockies, you home. You, know, you and your like, oh, I'm in my backyard. Um, in Arizona, like, oh, I'm almost home. Got a couple, you know, get out and walk. But mm. any tours uh, in the near future? Um, right now, uh, like we 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 don't have touring on the books right now. We got a couple shows, one in Riverside. Mm -hmm. Uh, and one in Tracy, California. I got to look at my calendar to tell you when or there. Uh, February 18th and 19th. By then, the podcast should be up. So hopefully we can inspire some. Okay, yeah. seen you before. And even those who have seen you to come out and catch you. You said Riverside, right? Yeah, Riverside. Yeah. Largest city yeah. east of Los Angeles. Let's hope you have it. And we did a couple shows to, to in, end out the year. We did a uh, played the Coach House, mm -hmm. and we played uh, a new venue in Los Angeles and Venice. The Venice West, West. West, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, I haven't been. Yeah, there. yeah, it was a fabulous bringing in the new year. Yes, and you know, mm -hmm. it it had we got hit with Omicron, like you know, <laughs> there was there was uh you know it's a pretty pretty mm -hmm. substantial portion of the band left with some. From that show? From one of them shows, I, I wasn't one. Angelo didn't get it. I think everybody else may have. Wow. But uh, everyone has recovered at this point? Everybody's recovered, doing great. Yes. To, you mm -hmm. know. Right, excellent. So take us back to some of the biggest musical influences by genre, funk, punk, ska, and reggae. We could do them one at a time. In, so, in, in no, no particular order. So. Ultimately, you know, like the the common bond with all of the members of Fishbone was was George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, Bootsy, and everything that was in that universe. Right, that was our initial common bond, mm -hmm. and it was basically, you know, we we're we're young teenagers meeting. Going, being bused from South Central Los Angeles to the Valley, and it was it was everything of the day. It was Sly and the Family Stone. It was Rick James. It was the Ohio Players. It was black music, you know. And but the other thing that we had in common is that we liked a whole bunch of other shit, you know. So, you know, I was. I personally have been a Beatles fan. Chris Dow was a big Beatles fan. Walt probably couldn't stand the Beatles, but <laughs> you know, it was, it was, there was, there was Jimi Hendrix, you mm -hmm. know, the doors, you know. Um, but at the same time, this is because we're talking 1978 when we were beginning, I'll be getting to know each other. Right. So in that time, uh, Black Radio in Los Angeles began to play Bob Martin late at night. Mm -hmm. And so I was catching that sometimes, waking up to take a piss in the middle of the night. What's that sound? And it was you know? station. It was a uh, 1580K day, <laughs> right? 
which which became the home of hip hop in LA. And uh, so we catch that, and and then and and where I lived, there was some other kids, and we all kind of like we we didn't know reggae, but because Stevie Wonder had Boogie on Reggae Woman, like that kind of lit people up. Um, you know, we we it was it was people in in in, in the neighborhood as well that that kind of bumped them sounds too. But it really was the, the, the first Bob Marley on 1580K Day. But again, it goes back to Stevie Wonder because he owned KJLH, right? <laughs> and KJLH blew up Steel Pulse. It was it was incredible. He loved, but wait, wait, before we got to Steel Pulse, third world, now that we found love. Wow. Yes. Right. And once you got to now that we found love, then you had to get to 96 degrees in the shade. You know what I mean? So which was which was richer reggae, you know. Uh, but but thank goodness for third world, like they kind of kicked open the door and, and brought a lot of black people into it in that time. By way of um, know that we found love. Cause yeah, because it was on black radio. Mm -hmm. It was on 1580K day. Right and KJLH Stevie Wonder station, and then that led to Stevie Wonder being able to introduce us all to Steel Pulse, which some hardcore reggae now. Yeah, rebel music. The hands were revolutionaries. Revolutionaries, yes. I mean Bob Marley to the heart, but you know, used like David Hines was putting it down. And and it was and it resonated, you know. When when you heard Ku Klux Klan, mm -hmm. you know, like they care about what we going through. Of course, because they don't have Ku Klux Klan where they live. They have yeah. Klan, but yeah, they're they, speaking they, to the American they, audience specifically. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, of course, we related to to that that brought us in, right? And then next was. Black Uhuru. Mm -hmm. So, and for 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 Fishbone, the influence of Sly and Robbie, the fact that they got down with Grace Jones, that was meaningful. Because Grace Jones was iconic in the late 70s. You didn't know what was about to happen with that one. And she just kept twisting and turning and changing and and being glamorous and incredible, you know? And, you know, the albums that she made with them really allowed, like it, it opened up our, our, the scope of what was possible for us, you know? Um, Cause she was already doing it, right? So music, music was like punk rock was brand new. New wave was coming in, so we was catching that too, right? So it was, and so you know, we we were all over the musical dial, 
me and me and my brother for sure, and all of us really. Right. We're, we we listened to every music. There was not nothing that like you know, heavy metal was the the rock stations KMET and KLOS. All of it was fair game. <laughs> and and uh but but watching Devo on Saturday Night Live was was life altering. You know? Fear on Saturday Night Live. You know? And then and seeing the decline of Western civilization. That the movies, uh, uh, dance craze, and the decline of Western civilization mm -hmm. really changed everything for us. Right. So, uh, um, going to speculate that most of the stations in Los Angeles were not played. At least the station that you mentioned. They didn't play any ska. So how were you introduced to ska? I'm so then we, we then, well, one, it was dance craze. Well, first, wait, wait, backing up, backing up. First, and I tell this story about the same every time. I thought we invented. I've heard it, so it's fresh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we were just playing with reggae rhythms. Mm. And, you know, youthful energy just started speeding it up and speeding it up and speeding it up and speeding it up and, it up and then it was just going <laughs> fucking really fast. And I'm like, oh man, we invented something. Punk rock reggae, what are we going to call it? Walt's like, that's Sky, fool. I'm like, Sky, I couldn't even hardly understand what he's saying. But who said that now? Dirty Walt. Oh, okay. Dirty Walt knew. Because he had an aunt named Frankie that was a limo driver. His aunt Frankie, he got, he about two days later, three days tops, he came back to my house with cassettes of the selector and the English beat. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's really what it what it yes. what it's supposed to sound like, you know. The baptism of the guy. Straight. So that was that was my introduction, and then the movie Dance Craze, mm -hmm. and then from there, like to to like we we was like the English sky, you know, and it was from then after we had been playing the club scene for a minute. It was a band called Tupelo Chain Sex. Based in, in LA? Yeah, and it was Joey Altruda's band. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jo That's Joe, Joey Altruda, Tupelo yeah. Joe. It's a household name. Right? Joe. So he was playing, he was, yeah. He was, he, the band was amazing. We befriended them. Uh, Willie McNeil on drums. We called, called him Willie Dread. That, uh, Sugar Cane Harris played violin in the band. Uh, uh, Don Cherry played in the band. You know, Nina Nina Cherry and Eagle Eye's father, if you, that's how you gotta know him, you know? And uh, it was an amazing band. We loved them and it was, their manager was a guy named Jason Mayo. And his brother Gaz, you know, is, nice. you know, the Trojans mm -hmm. in England. And, and uh, he, Gaz put out a lot of, a lot of records in, on the Trojan label, right? 
Anyway, it was hanging out with, with Jason Mayo and Skate Master Tate the, at the house where we considered the, the uh, Tupelo Chain Sex house, where they started playing all this Jamaican sky. And we found out how black sky really was. It blew our minds. Mm -hmm. I went home that night going like, oh my God, it all goes back you know? to Louisiana, Florida, yeah. back to Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. We we actually didn't didn't figure out the, the Louisiana part till later as well. But it, it was actually a great source of pride. Absolutely. You know? Mm -hmm. It was actually like okay, and and then to uh, and they helped us understand the evolution mm -hmm. of Scott from Sky through through uh, Blue Beat and Rock Steady and 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 to the formation of reggae, you know, right? And, and uh, yeah, so that was a journey. Definitely. You know, and 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 it and it and it kind of rooted us in like, yeah, this is for us. Two tone did it. I like the 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 fact that there was a two tone that that spoke to, you know, like 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 the like the anti racist stance. Yes, of two tone like. Mm -hmm. Dude, it's for us. Indeed. You know? And 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 uh you know, we we of course carry that to this day. It was it was inf totally influential, you know. Thank you Jerry Dammers. Mhm. Mm you know? Mhm. Mm so, I want to take you up. Fishbone uh was very groundbreaking. Uh no one can in fact pigeonhole your band into any specific genre. You were one of a few groups of black musicians who incorporated, uh, I guess, just about every style, funk, punk, ska, rock steady, and reggae. I don't think that was done or as successfully. Maybe uh, the likes of Death and Bad Brains experimented as well. They influenced you guys, but I always I always thought the clash kind of, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the clash kind of did it. <laughs> you know, they they mixed a lot of stuff up. You know, it was a different it was a different effect from a different angle. Mm -hmm. You know? But the clash. Okay. And yeah, you guys were listening to them back then, right? Huh? You guys were listening to the clash as well. Well at a certain point, we I didn't really get dig into the clash. The mm. fact that they did it, we did we were just doing what came natural to us. Mm -hmm. Right? We didn't do it because the clash did it. Mm -hmm. But I gotta give them props. They did it. You know? Mm. It it was we 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 listened, we played music like how we listened to it. Right, to play like you're listening, not like that. Like that's, that's all we did. Like we was down with everything <laughs> just about. And, right. it, and we were we were free enough to just simply allow it to come out. <laughs> and and the like like 
the the fact that that Sky came from was Jamaican and the 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 message of two tone in and of itself allowed us to embrace it probably musically above most of what else we were doing. One, we 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 were looking to be original. Period. So we didn't we didn't want to sound like Parliament Funkadelic. We barely even played that music. Like we we knew those songs in mm -hmm. our head. We didn't learn them note for note. We didn't even learn a bunch of Scott. We learned some, but you know, the mute, we wrote a lot of Sky songs. Mm -hmm. We actually, and I skipped over this, we actually learned a lot of Rush. We learned Devo. <laughs> <laughs> so in a sense, it it was difficult for promoters to uh, book the band, I'm assuming, right? Because they're not sure what genre, because you couldn't be pigeonholed into one specific genre. Yeah, so well, you a know, we, promoter may not be sure or a reggae or, or a punk or a funk. Did that create a problem, so to speak? Not, not with bookings, right? The very first thing, like our manager, Roger Perry, he was like, I'm gonna just book y'all on everything that you that we can book you on. And you fit into everything. <laughs> so we fit in, like we, they just, it just happened. We played with a lot of rockabilly bands. Uh, <laughs> like right. at, Ma at Madame Wong's, it was a lot of rockabilly bands. Ah, my and uh, you know, and but but we weren't a part of that scene, you know, like it it really worked when we did play with Sky Bands. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's that worked somewhat the best. And there wasn't there was no big funk scene in LA. There was some, but not not, you know, it was really like punk rock, which we fit, and ska, we fit. We played, but we played with all kinds of bands. Blues, uh 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 you know, like I said, rockabilly, some a bunch of pop bands. We did we did play with everybody, and that I think that's that's eventually. And it, but it wasn't until we like plugged into the hipster scene. So, and you know, Sky has the sky has a pure and had then there was mod sky purity right and we weren't pure anything you know so it was people who wasn't wasn't checking for us at all you know so so, so is, that, is that a downside considering that la perhaps has the largest casino in the united states um no, you know what? Because I, I think every I think it had to do what it did. Mm -hmm. People needed to go through those things. They because people eventually grew out of those things. And and the music expanded, you know? And and we were part of the expansion. There you go. You know? And and so it had to come to a voodoo glow skulls, you know, like that. That was something that needed to be expressed, you know. Mm -hmm. But but we also we absolutely needed a hepcat. Yes, <laughs> you know, 
Like it's it's I I'm like I I I wasn't mad at the purists at all. I you know I might have wished there was they were a little more open, but the traditions that that were kept alive still reverberate today. Yeah, who can you know? No one can disagree with that. Yeah, and so I appreciate that. Yes. You know, I appreciate that I can go check out the expanders today that have a vibe, you know, that's like somebody's doing that to death. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So I want to take you back to uh, October, last October, October 2021, yeah. You participated in the top ranking, the unclubbed birch of the Alaska Boom event at the Grammy Museum. How important was the unclub back then to you and the group? The unclub, the because one, I think it was 18 and over, right? So depends seven, on who was at the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I, yeah, I was 17. Because all they served was beer, right? I think you could get away with 18. I'm not sure. But beer and wine. So so you know, we we <clears throat> one the fact that the specials ever played there was big it was a big deal for us. And the way that the way that the on club was booked and the fact that we could we could go there when we weren't playing and check out bands and go see what other people were doing that was so important to us mm-hmm. you know it it was it 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 had like a like a like it like like it's mine <laughs> you know and, and you guys so, played. You guys played there, of course, numerous times. Oh yeah, we played there very much. We were the last band to grace the stage. Wow, that's historic. That's legendary. Yes, we were the last band before they closed the door. Before they put the stage. Yes, up. yes. Mm. And it was a hell of a party. There was about four inches of beer on the floor. <laughs> it was. It was soggy in that motherfucker it was deep but it was beautiful it was beautiful and it was sad to see it go yeah. you know and for years i pass it by like i wish i could buy it and turn it back into what it was but the memory remains that you brought the curtain down in a good way yes absolutely mm-hmm. and and i really between howard and bob selva like I appreciate to this day them allowing us to be that band, mm-hmm. you know. Right. It was by accident. It was by design that they had. They know they were. They were like fishbowl shutting us down. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, sir. So, what are some of the other popular venues back in the eighties that uh, you performed at here in the Greater Los Angeles? Well, our very first show was at Madame Wong's Chinatown, mm-hmm. which was pivotal for punk rock, right? And Madame Wong's Chinatown and Madame Wong's West, and although Madame Wong's West was a larger, you know, uh, uh, nicer facility, it was something about Madame Wong's Chinatown that everybody preferred. Mm -hmm. 
You wanted to grow was it up. The acoustic, the acoustic, the. It was. It was a vibe. That's the. That's yeah. That's the the, the, the word vibe. It was a vibe. It did, I don't know if it sounded great or not. It was a vibe. It was a Chinese restaurant. It wasn't made for <laughs> what got what went down. <clears throat> you know, but but those were super important. There was a club called the Music Machine. That one I know, yes. Sir. <laughs> and the music machine was super important. Like yeah. it was, but the LA scene, the LA club scene was so, so healthy mm -hmm. overall. In what sense? Like just the wide variety there. You know, the, the, yeah, yeah. There was there was amazing bands everywhere. Mm, variety you know, of and and you know, people would say, like, you could go to any club any day of the week and see something that was that was good, if not great, if not three great bands, you know, but at least one you were gonna go like, yeah. there's something to that, you know? And and that was, a, it was super healthy. It, 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 it was like, when I think about, you know, when I think about music, and 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 what it takes, what it would take to cultivate a, an amazing scene today, I, that's my template. But it's all I know too, right? Like I, I, we grew up and we toured, and we got to see other scenes. And there were many healthy scenes around the United States, mm -hmm. but particular nineteen eighty three to 1990 something, LA was on fire. And, you know, uh, some of my, like there was a club called The Plant in Studio City where we played quite a few times, but not like the other ones, but man, I, I loved that club, you know? We played with a with a band called Texan the Horseheads, which we would be friends. You know, they were kind of sludgy, punky, punky sludgy. And uh I saw suicidal tendencies there. Me and Fish went to see suicidal tendencies there. And uh that was before Rocky George was in the band. It was, you know, mm -hmm. the the absolute, I think, original lineup. And uh you know, it was like, you know, we got to explore Los Angeles, seeing the Untouchables at the Roxy, you know, like the, the Untouchables were the kings of the Los Angeles you. scene mm -hmm. at that time. Some of the originators. Yeah, man. And so going, going to see them and, you know, like, you know, but but the, the like the reggae bands in LA really. You know, I was thinking about this band Dell and the Sensations. Yes, sir. You mm -hmm. know, was like love to see Dell and the Sensations. They were good. You know, um, the Rebel Rockers, and that was a lot. A lot of, uh, you know, that, like a lot of these bands. It was the On Club where I saw them. <laughs> You know, Del the Sensation, the Rebel Rockers, the Babylon Warriors. Yeah. Uh, Memory juggling, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 
uh, Prince Ital Joe, mm -hmm. you know? He became and, an ancestor a good few years ago. Huh? He became an ancestor. He died a few years ago. Oh, yes, I know. I know. I was sad to see him go. But you know what was dope was how he found his way onto Death Row Records. I didn't even know that. <laughs> that, like, on, on, on the, you know, Dr. Dre and Dr. Dre's production, Snoop, you know? Um, like if you if you check out like uh -huh. Prince uh -huh. Ital Joe was on uh -huh. those records because wow. he was selling them weed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sir. So uh, can you take us back to the uh, late eighties, early nineties? Uh, that uh, was a crucial era uh, for Fishbone. Please talk about some of the highlights uh, performing Jamaican skier in the back of the beach reunion film. It's a couple of them, I'll take them one at a time. Oh man, that was because there was a, uh, so, you know, we got the word, we were on tour with the Beastie Boys, the License mm -hmm. to Ill tour. When when we got the, the, the you got the gig, we knew it might be coming, but they took, you know, so in the middle of that tour, we had, there were some days off and it lined up to where we flew back to Los Angeles to shoot the scene. And the wild thing is Public Enemy took our place on the tour. They did shows in New Jersey that we would have been on. Public Enemy was the band that took our place with the Beastie Boys. But we, uh, 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 I was like, one, I was a little freaked out because the License to Ill Tour felt like the most notorious radical tour in America at that time. You know, the beast- In more specific, in what sense? Huh? What made it? Was it was wild as hell. We was all batshit crazy and raising all kind of hell. Drinking, fucking smoking weed, I don't know what everybody, I'm sure there's plenty of drugs. I myself, just weed and alcohol. That's enough. And, and whippets. Anyway, <laughs> it was, but you know, like, cause the Beastie Boys, they had girls in cages. They had a 30 foot dick coming out of a box. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> slinging beer all over the stage every night. Murphy's Law, Fishbone, Beastie Boys. We was pi pirates. We was getting chased out of towns. We got chased out of Corpus Christi, Texas. We got. We that got, was working Texas. We got. We got. We no. The, the the head detective. The police departments all over the United States hated the wiffle ball bat thing that the Beastie Boys. You know, the sheriff, the sheriff's after me for how I did it to his daughter. I did it like this. I did it like that. I did it with a wiffle ball bat. Police departments all over the United States was mad. And mm -hmm. the head detective came to the show. His daughter had come. There was the band Wasp, the heavy metal band Wasp <clears throat> played the night before. His daughter got caught giving head to somebody. In real life? <laughs> Yes. So he was like, fuck these beastie boys. And they came down, they said, no profanity. 
And if you put up the dick, everybody's going to jail. <laughs> so one, well, you can't tell us no profanity. <laughs> Everybody went on stage raising profanity to the highest. Like just, so we got chased out of town. Murphy's Law didn't. I think, and the funny thing is the Beastie Boys had this dude named Ron Bird, the only black man on their crew. Ron Bird was the man that put up the dick. He was, he would go to jail. <laughs> anyway, that's why, because it was a tour was crazy. It was Corpus Christi wasn't the only city we got chased out of. And I was like, Annette Funicello is America's sweetheart. You know, she was. She was the Jiffy Peanut Butter Lady. You know, the, 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 the Mickey Mouse Club girl, all grown up, surf culture. But really, the, the most amazing thing was she was one of the biggest introductions of ska to America when she did Jamaica Ska. Right. The original, her right. version. Mm -hmm. You know, that one lit up, that that actually put put Scott in the mainstream, maybe for the first time in America, and married it to surf culture. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yes. So today, so today when you like when you hear the the all of the uh, post-sublime California reggae sound that is married to surf. Yes, that's the foundation. That's the original. And Funicello is the foundation. Funicello. Interesting. And so I was thinking, I didn't surf back then. I didn't live on the beach back then, but <laughs> anyway, I flew. We flew in and we did it, and I was I was a little freaked out. Yeah. Like, oh my God, what's happening? You know? And Annette Funicello was sweet as can be. Frankie Avalon was a consummate gentleman. I enjoyed the, just the fact that Pee Wee Herman was a part of it. Yes. You know what I mean? It was a big deal. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit about uh Chili Pepper. Uh so you toured with Red Hot Chili Pepper also on the Lollapalooza tour, right? Was it a separate or they were all one? Yeah, those are separate tours, right? Uh -huh. So, and, and first with the Chili Peppers, we first, there was a real friendship. But prior to the, the touring? Prior to any touring that we mm -hmm. did. Oh, I remember oh. the day that Flynn and Anthony came to see Fishbone, we were playing the Club Lingerie, which is another one of my favorite places to play in LA. Because you know, of the name or just a little bit of both, you know, but but it was actually the, the club Andre had prestige, mm -hmm. you know. So Flea and Anthony, I remember seeing their silhouettes. I didn't never met them before. I remember seeing them walk come in the building while we were on stage performing. 
So was there something unique about his walk while you- It was something that, something that clicked. That, I think that's them dudes from that band, the Chili Peppers, that we were reading about. I had never seen them, <clears throat> you know? And it came off stage and we started talking and one of the first things Flea said was, let's jam. Uh. And I was like, cool. And Flea and Hillel came to my mother's house and me, my brother, Flea and Hillel jammed. And they kept coming back, mm. you know? So there was a real bond between the bands, um, you know? And yeah, so, you know, the, the first tour that we did together was the Best of the West tour was in 1986. And where are some of the cities that the tour took you? Uh, we did so much of the United States. Wow. Uh, coast to coast, right? Coast to coast, absolutely. Coast. You know, Atlanta, DC, New York, Chicago. Seems like we went about everywhere you can go. My memory ain't perfect, so I don't remember everything, but it was some amazing pivotal points mm -hmm. in that. And the performances, the night, like it was insane. You know, we was all young and, and well, just and figuring it out. And that was Fishbone, Chili Peppers and Thelonious Monster. So all three bands were friends, you know? And, and uh, uh, there, there, was, there was, and Lollapalooza, because we befriended Perry Farrell before there was a James Addiction. He was in a band called Psycom. Mm -hmm. So there's this hot dog stand on, uh, on Kawanga, north of Hollywood Boulevard. And we were in Hollywood, maybe doing photos, we were doing something, it was on our own. Angelo came running up. There's this band playing at the hot dog stand over there. Y'all gotta come see him. Everybody followed Angelo and that was Psycom. And when we were done, we walked up, talked, talked to him. Perry invited us to the house on Wilton, which is where Walt met his wife. She was one of Perry's roommates. And, uh, you know, so we, we, we be, and, and actually, I did not remember this, uh, but one, one of our, Jane's Addiction's first two rehearsals was in my mother's living room. <laughs> oh, your mother tolerated that, but I saw Yeah, that. man. You had a good mom. <laughs> she was a visionary mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, yeah, not like, you know, and their first show was opening for Fishbone mm -hmm. at, the, at the country club in Reseda. Mm -hmm. Our audience booed them. Oh. Audience booed them. Chris but they didn't Bell, bring the energy? No, they came, did what they do. The audience just didn't get it. You know? They didn't understand. They were an absolutely brand new band. And the audience didn't give them a chance. It was their first show. First show. And, but they were amazing at that first show. <clears throat> like, I, I, I felt it. The audience was like, what the fuck is this? Why y'all do that to us? 
<laughs> and, but, but yeah, so there was a long friendship. And when Perry, mm -hmm. actually Perry asked us to play the first Lollapalooza and we passed and that was unfortunate. But we went to do the Gathering of the Tribes, which Ian Asbury put together. Yes. And uh, yeah, Ian Asbury from the cult. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, but which, which the lineup was incredible. It was Primus, Ice Cube, Yo-Yo, King's X. Like it was, you know, it was, I was happy to be on tour with, with, with was, and Yo-Yo was a sweetheart. I, I, don't, I don't think I talked to Ice Cube at all on that, <laughs> but, but, uh, and, and it was only, it was set to do 35 dates, only did three. Lollapalooza flew. Perry pulled us in to do Dallas and Seattle. So we did do two shows on the first one. Then we did the third Lollapalooza. So the tour got canceled or you guys just left? No, no. You said it was 33 shows? There was like Gathering of the Tribes didn't have a ticket sales. Oh. So only right. three shows happened. Oh, okay. Mm. And Perry <laughs> rode that ship. He's still riding it. You can still go to Lollapalooza whenever they do in the next one. So, right. you know. Yes. So yeah, we did the third one and that was incredible. Mm -hmm. But that was that was actually the beginning of, of of the band, you know, like Kendall. Like I I spent that that tour flying in and out going to court because, you know, of me attempting to take Kendall to get psychological treatment. You know. That whole thing with with the kidnapping thing, and you know, like in my mind, it was an adult intervention. People call it a kidnapping. So I'm, I'm frankly not aware of the history. Something you might want to talk about. Okay, so yeah, there was. I'm gonna keep it short because it's it's a whole lot to it. And and but bottom line is, as far as I could tell, and most of us, Kendall was having a psychological break. Mm -hmm. He'd been under a great amount of stress from his mother passing. Mm -hmm. And there were some other, other parts to it, the circumstances that made it worse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the short of it was, and a lot of people gonna know about it. I'm like, and I just, don't want to go down that path right now. Well, I attempted to do an adult intervention and that's exactly how we talked about it with his girlfriend, his fiance, his brothers and another friend. Mm -hmm. And it turned into facing nine to 11 years in a kidnapping charge, right? Because the state intervened. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Right. District attorney was like, you know, the the judge even said, like, under normal circumstances, we just consider it like a domestic situation and you just throw it out. But this case is bizarre and we want to see what is up under the hood. So <laughs> I faced nine to 11 years. It was a full, uh, it was a full acquittal. 
Nice. Mm-hmm. Full acquittal for everybody. Mm-hmm. The maybe I believe it was obvious mm-hmm. <clears throat> what the intentions them were and what the need was. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the jurors at the end of the whole thing came up to me and he's like, I came here with the intention of sending y'all to jail. But I saw what it was and, you know. Good, right, sir. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's the short of it. Right. It's a long, I, I, I bet, I bet. So, but, uh, so let's continue to walk down memory lane, uh, working with director Spike Lee on your music video for Sunless Saturday. What was that like? You know, it was incredible because, you know, Spike was riding high. Mm-hmm. You know, we were super fans. Still to this day, appreciate him for who he is. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate part is the record label was scared. In what sense? And of what? Well, I guess because... Uh, because what they felt like Spike Lee represented, mm-hmm. you know, blackness. The establishment at large was really afraid of Spike. Yes, and they were afraid of Spike and Fishbone together. Mm-hmm. What a combination. Yeah, like, that, that's, like that's, you know. Make the weak heart tremble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like what, you, what the fuck you think this is? You know what I mean? Like, 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 <laughs> we were never trying to be white. <laughs> we were just doing what came natural. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I was, and and it was, and 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 I could say I was never trying to be white with all love for all my white brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but I got love for my Asian. You know, for 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 whatever you want to call a motherfucker, I'm like you're human. We got I got right. love for you. Mm-hmm. You know, but black Americans have a certain experience, and mm-hmm. well, you know, like I'm gonna relate with my black family, right. I don't need your permission. But actually, I guess I did in that time, and they were scared. <laughs> so the end result, a sunless Saturday? The end result is a sunless Saturday video, but it came with me like going like sitting in meetings, going like, are y'all telling the Rolling Stones that they gotta put black people in their video? Not not that we didn't want to put white people. There was a point where Spike Lee sent a, a treatment. And it, there was this part where it just said, kids playing on the bricks in a, in a, in a torn down, uh, 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 a torn down apartment building in the Brooks, in the Bronx. <laughs> and the record label uh, president sent back a, Man, it better be white people on them, white kids on them bricks. Like, what the fuck is that? He didn't say it wouldn't be. He just said kids. 
And what if the kids represented us? An all black band. What if they were, there was a Norwood kid and a Chris Dowd kid? You know what I mean? Like, didn't have a problem putting white kids in it, but are you telling them any white artist that they got to put <laughs> a black person in Interesting. anything in that time? Right, right. You know what I mean? Interesting. It's, it's kind of like, you know, like people are up in arms right now about the Supreme Court justice that Biden, mm -hmm. he said, want to pick a black woman, right? Well, there was a time when there was no question that your Supreme Court choice would be a white male. Right. Nobody had to say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Understood. You know Unaccepted. what I mean? Like Unaccepted. <laughs> yeah, it was just accepted. Like, yep, that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So so it's the same kind of thing. It's like, to me, it's like, wait a minute. Like, what does it, like, one, that's, no one here is thinking that way. You just do something at it. So mm -hmm. I'm like, this motherfucker's racist. You know? Mm -hmm. It's too much going on. Right. So additionally, what was it like working with Spike? Spike was great. He was classy. His brother, Sankey Lee, actually did the, the directing mm -hmm. on, on the set. Spike oversaw it all. And it was fucking badass, you know? So who initiated the contact with uh, Spike, your agent or came through friendship? Um, no, we did not know him before that. We, it was mm -hmm. our manager, mm -hmm. our manager. We was just like, okay, we need to, we need to do a, we, it was time to do a video who we want to pick. We threw a bunch of names in the pot a very capable people. Mm -hmm. Top of the line. But it, it was like, you know, Spike Lee. Like we wanted, that's something we wanted to do, for, one, for us. And we felt like he was more than capable. And I think the video still stands to this day. Mm -hmm. Fishbones are never afraid to take a stand. So I want to ask you about um, some of the bands that you're, influence not only here in Southern California where you're best, but around the world. Bands like No Doubt, Sublime. Uh, can you please share stories about performing on tour with some of the LA bands that we have mentioned before? But yeah. No Doubt and uh, Sublime. You know what, No Doubt for sure, like some of their early early shows were opening for Fishbone. I'm still seeing the flyer, you know, periodically seeing the flyers. And that was, you know, it was it was incredible to watch them to 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 one, give them the opportunity to come and open for us. Because really uh uh Fender's ballroom mm -hmm. uh was was you know, a very young, no doubt. And then, but when, when they came with the shows that we did at the Roxy, you know, like that was them in, at an evolutionary stage, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, uh, uh, and to watch them grow and forever be 
be graceful and classy and just good human beings to us, you know? Um, it was, it's, 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 their journey was an incredible journey to watch, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Sublime as well? You, you work with them? I'll tell you what, in all honestly, I don't remember playing with Sublime. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I know that we did. I know that we did. If, if what I what I think we did some radio festivals. Mm -hmm. Um, when and they had not completely hit, but I honestly, if if we were on the shows, it was probably at a time to where I was drinking all night and sleeping all day, and I, and I didn't see them. <laughs> Yes, um, and that's uh, that's me being honest. But I remember the first time I heard them on the radio, mm -hmm. you know, and and I remember hearing them, uh, you know, once once they started to explode, because their manager who eventually became our manager, John Phillips, came to us, came to me mm. and was like, he was like, I know you guys work with David Kahn. How was that? Because I'm thinking about having him work with my band Sublime. You know, and I was like, yeah. Like David's an amazing producer, you know, suggested on how to, how to, you know, operate with him. But other than that, I'm like, fuck yeah, do that shit, you know? And actually that was what led to mm -hmm. the explosion of the band. But the unfortunate thing is Bradley Noel would never get to enjoy their massive popularity. Right. You know, the wild thing is like, you know, get like one day I'm looking at watching the video and like, oh, that's Angelo in the Sublime video. You know, <laughs> he got he got around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, my last question before I turn you over to producer and good friend Eric Kohler. So, why is it important to include social commentary in practically all your creative work? Um. Well, one, it, it, it is, for me, is how I'm wired, mm -hmm. right? And it took me a long time to, to understand that some people are not wired like that. You know what I mean? Just because somebody want to sing love songs don't mean they're a sellout, you know? Thanks like, that's that what's in their heart, and Thanks they should be doing exactly that, right? Mm -hmm. So... I'm I'm just wired to be be drawn to message music. Yes. And that's very important. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's why punk rock resonated with me. The mm -hmm. music of the 60s where people, you know, actually spoke about the circumstances of the people. The mm -hmm. you know the the when the when the temptations actually began to speak to the black condition, you know the world condition. Mm -hmm. Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, the clash, right? Like once I got the cl- what what Joe Strummer was saying, like pow, my brain was exploding. You know, but punk rock was built on that, and mm-hmm. I I think that rock and roll, in and of itself, that's the spirit of it, and it just it grew up, and it and the and and it. Grew, grew brains and and so you can have uh, uh Bob Marley you know actually with with love and 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 elegance mm-hmm. being a revolutionary a true yeah. revolutionary voice mm-hmm. you know you could get have a still post true democracy you know, you could have Black Uhuru saying, you know, speaking to the people. Yes. You know, and that's what Two Tone was about. Two Tone spoke about the conditions in England at that time. And it was similar rough. To, similar to the experiences we are going through here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could we could relate to that. Mm-hmm. There was when, you know, we, I was, you know, feel fortunate that I got to be a part of the sit-ins and, and the marches that led to, and the boycotts that led to Nelson Mandela being freed and the bringing down of apartheid South Africa. So we crossed part numerous times but didn't know each other. <laughs> yeah, that, but that was some of the most important things to me. So I was a kid, I was a kid, South Central LA going to my cousins in Compton. My cousin was Jay, say, you know, I'm talking about 1970, 1971. Let's go around the corner to the schoolhouse. The time to teach us a little arithmetic, a little reading, a little history. And none of it was, they didn't teach us revolutionary shit. They taught us what little kids should be taught. You know? But the fact that I was there years later, like I didn't think about it. I, I was something we was kids doing what kids do. Years later, I'm like, whoa, like, you know, talk to my cousin Nita about it. And, and uh, you know, I'm like, they gave back and I was someone they gave to. Mm-hmm. And so I am inspired to give back. Yes. You know, and, and, and I see that they were demonized. Well, I didn't see a damn thing wrong. And the more I learned about the history, the more I'm like, oh, y'all was scared. <laughs> You're not kidding. You know, and so... So when they started talking about Farrakhan, I'm like, let me go see what this man got to say. I went and I listened to Farrakhan and I didn't hear what they said he was saying. I I heard the fullness of his conversation. I could see how it could get taken out of context. If you want to take something out of context. Not hard. You know what I mean? And I consider myself to, I'm not a follower of anybody. So I don't hang 
on every word that anybody is saying. Mm -hmm. I take what makes sense to me and I make it mine. And then I try to live through it through my own personal code of ethics. Right? Yes, sir. This is an excellent transition point to bring up <laughs> good friend Eric Kohler. All right. Nor Norwood, those are some great words of wisdom. Very, very, very profound. And I've, I've, I've been sitting off in the wings here um, laughing, laughing right. as part of this. There are some great stories, Norwood, uh, but no, some powerful ones. And thank you. Thank you for, uh, for doing this. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. And it was a pleasure to finally meet you in person, too, at that Grammy Museum event. Yes. I've seen seen you and and Fishbone so many times over the years, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And and um, uh, Junior um, or, or Norwa just touching on one of two things that Junior said um, when when he was asking you about some of the artists that you've and bands that you've worked with throughout the years. We can go on and on because there's so many of them. But I know that sticking with Public Enemy, what were they like to uh, to perform with? Well. They were brand spanking new and had not played a single show ever when we did the first things with them, with the Beastie Boys. Okay. The Beastie Boys was like, let's make room for them, give them some stage, right? So we, everybody cut their sets a little short so they could mm. perform. Later on, we did a, one of the most insane bills ever, Fishbone, Public Enemy, Living Color, and Stetson Sonic at the Santa Monica Civic, yep. which unfortunately, Public Enemy did not get to do a whole hell of a lot there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Wow. Yeah, because gangs began to, you know, kick people's ass, like mobbing. Wow. through the crowd and it was not cool. Right. And and Public Enemy did not get to finish. There was, Fishbone played a complete set. I didn't think we were gonna be able to play and we did. There was none of those incidents. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know, like I was, I was a huge fan. Like it was the Beastie Boys that gave us the first Public Enemy advanced copies of Yo Bum Rush to show. Wow. I remember the day they came on our tour bus and gave everybody a copy. That's I think crazy. it was Mike D. Okay. Yeah. Uh, passing them out. And uh, 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 yeah, so that was, that was, but yeah, like I was just, just a total fan of, of Public Enemy Chuck D and what happens over there. But you know what I forgot to say? There was one of the most amazing We've done a lot of amazing shows with, with a lot of our heroes, right? And and the, like the specials, it's fucking epic, you know? <laughs> the English beat, you know? Like, it's like, you know, uh, uh, Bad Manners, like, dude. And and the Skylights, right? Like, those, all that, those things happen. Yep. We were on tour in Europe. It was in like 90, 91, maybe. 
We did three festivals in Europe. James Brown headlining, Steel Pulse before James Brown, Fishbone before Steel Pulse. Ah, uh, what a what a what a trio! What a spectacular variety! Yeah, amazing variety. We don't get that here in the states, right? Oh my God! <laughs> talk about talk about Showtime. <laughs> that that was like ah, incredible. Yeah, wow. Did you have a chance to, to meet and talk with James? We did. We did, because we talked to the band on a regular basis, right? And and the drummer was one, he probably had two drummers. One of the drummers was from Watts. Okay. Wow. Hometown. So so we 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 was relating, relating every day. And uh uh yeah, his singers, everybody, the band was lovely, right? We was, I think it was about the last show. We were somewhere, maybe Switzerland, France. James Brown, like talking to the drummer, James Brown is doing a press conference and we'd standing outside the tent. It's a big, gigantic tent. You could hear James Brown talking. And one, I'm going like, how do these French speaking motherfuckers understand a word he's saying? <laughs> I can't understand shit. But he was, he was talking and then the, the the drummer, I wish I remembered his name. He he said, he, he was like, he was like, you guys want to meet Mr. Brown? I'm like, oh, absolutely. Yes. He was like, cool, go get something to sign. You might want to get something to sign for him to sign. Me and Kendall ran and we got our guitars. And both of us, our instruments were pretty new. And Kendall had this one-of-a-kind uh, Tom Anderson guitar. Like paint job was incredible. So James Brown comes out, drummers that Mr. Brown, these are the guys from Fishbone have been playing with us for the last three shows. They'd like to meet mm -hmm. you. Oh uh, yeah, it's an honor to meet you, Mr. Brown. Like you've been like, you know, fan of your music forever. Would you, would you please sign our guitars? Bro, Somebody had one of them gold or silver pins. You got to shake them up. And Kendall put his guitar up first. Brown, shake up the pin, go to sign it. The pin wasn't. I wasn't trying. I wasn't signing on that uh, that material. Yeah, yeah. And James Brown, he was like, "Oh, I didn't." He kept trying, and he kept trying. And he shake it up, and he kept trying, and kept trying. He give me another one. He got another pin. So Kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. <laughs> and you know what? It was incredible how many times he tried. Wow. Like it was, he didn't get frustrated and give up right away. He did not. He put wow. in a great effort, but he fucked Kendall's guitar up something terrible. <laughs> and while he's kept going, I slowly put my guitar back in the case. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Oh, and when it was over, Kendall was pissed. I'm like, dude. Like, he, never, he never got it signed either. Just, just I mean, he, he just made a mess on his guitar, right? He never got a proper signature. And, uh, at least it makes for a great story. <laughs> and I'm like, Kendall, 
You know what? The band Perfect Circle, Billy Howard Dale was on the road with us. He was teching for us, right? There was no Perfect Circle. Right. Anyway, Billy Howard, he was like, I'm going to get Billy to clean this shit up. I'm like, don't do it, man. You got the the only guitar on the planet that got fucked up by James Brown like that. Big value. That's great. Oh, I love that. That's a great, great story, Norwood. Um, So also going back, um, and I think maybe a good place where people, fans can hear more about what you briefly touched on um, earlier is the 2010 documentary, right? Everyday Sunshine. Yes, yes. Uh, I had the pleasure of actually seeing that on an on a on a flight, I think from from uh, from LA to New York um, uh, at one point. But um, uh, powerful. Were you happy with that documentary? You know what the, the the thing is is like I I'm happy with it. Let me just state that one. Yeah. Yes, I'm happy with it, and. It uh, it was just very difficult for me to judge the quality of it because all I looked at I looked at it and I'm like oh that's my life yeah yeah all I kept seeing is like I I never thought they took like they there was many edits of it that we had to watch and I was like I can't be objective about this <laughs> like it's, I said it. It's what I said, and what I said is what happened. Like you lived through it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. I right. was too close to the subject yeah. to be objective. Yeah. But really, the response to it was incredible, and that's that's really you know where I'm like, okay, it's like you know, because Angelo, it was Angelo from the very beginning. He was like, well, if we do this. It's got to be a hundred percent real, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's what that's what I see when I watch it. Yeah, yeah, I I could, I could see that. That, that that's great. That's great feedback. Um, another fascinating part of that documentary, aside from just obviously your 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 career in itself, but Lawrence Fishburne, the narrator. Yeah who was also part of this, this Grand Museum event last October. But, but talk about talk about Lawrence and, and how did it come about for him to narrate it? And do you remember, did you meet him back in the day at the On Club? Mm, no, I do not remember meeting him at the On Club. What it was, a guy named Brendan Mullen. Okay. Who, uh, you know, he actually, he used to book The Mask old punk rock club. I never went to the mass. Okay. But he, he booked the Cathay de Grand and then he booked Club Lingerie. Got it. And I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers got a coffee table book where Brendan Mullen was pivotal to bringing that to life. I don't remember okay. the part he played if he, right. if he did the notes or, you know, whatever. But Brendan was an amazing beautiful dude, he has passed on, but Brendan Mullen was like, I want to introduce you guys to Larry Fishburne, because he thought Fishburne needs to meet Fishburne, <laughs> right? And, and that's who introduced us to right. Fish, Larry Fishburne, right? right? And, uh, and, 
and you know, from there, we just stayed connected overall. Like sometimes we'd be in New York and he'd invite us to his place. He'd come to the shows and, yep. you know, he was just a real down to earth bro with us. Yeah. You know, I can see that. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, like, so, you know, the, the the unfortunate part is is like before they got to Larry Fishburne, the directors asked him, right? Like I had asked Jeremy Pivens. Oh wow. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a bro. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy Pivens was up for it. And when they had to tell Jeremy Pivens, uh, we're going with Fishburne, you know. I'm, for your, he was a little disappointed. For your for your second documentary, you can have you can have. <laughs> so was it a financial bonanza? The documentary. I ain't make a dime off of it. Oh. <laughs> well, we we we. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you all gained some uh, uh, exposure. Yeah, so, some some exposure, but also mm -hmm. some new fans and maybe. No, no, absolutely. That it was incredible, really. Yeah. Like like because. What, what we discovered is that there is a ton of people out there that don't give a fuck about getting up and going to a concert, a club, mm -hmm. a gathering to see music. Yep. They may love music, but they would rather sit in their living rooms and watch it on TV. Sure. <clears throat> They'd rather go to a movie theater, right? So, And people, when me and Angelo went around to do question and answer sessions, those people actually stood up and said, I would have never heard about your band if you would have did this, because we don't go see live music. Right. We fell in love with your band. Yeah. You know what I mean? People, yeah, that yeah. happened over and over again. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah. And the mere fact that you saw it on a flight to New York. Correct. Probably Correct. a reputable airline. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah so, so yeah, it allowed us to be discovered by a ton of people that, you know, we would have missed us. Mm -hmm. And you know what? And and that like again, like, you know, we we ain't out of COVID, but people are doing shows, right? But when it came to the live streaming thing, I was like, yep, those people are out there for the live streaming experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They Great. didn't need COVID for the live streaming experience. Right. And right. we was missing that opportunity. Yeah. You yeah. know. No, that's that, that's a great point. Um, you're you're obviously one to not uh, uh, be idle. Uh, and and many years ago, you started another project, Trulio Disgracious. Yes. Uh, can you can you talk about how that came together? And and I and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you have some upcoming um, uh, activities. Oh yeah, yeah. And so ultimately, that begins with. Uh, Uh, you know, Doug Wimbish, bassist in current bassist in Living Color, right? He was he was in a band called Adrian Sherwood and Tackhead. Mm. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. right. Yeah. And and uh, you know, like they were coming to play the Palace in Hollywood, and uh, Kendall's girlfriend was actually work actually worked at the palace right so anna lawrence who's in the documentary right she i know i know anna yeah 
Yes, Anna's amazing, brilliant yeah. mind, right? Yeah. And so Anna, Anna, so all of my musical friends kept asking me, can you get me in the show? Can you get me in the show? I'm like, I'm not in the band, I can't, you know? <laughs> and, and then I had this bright idea, like, well, maybe if we could be the opening band, I could get all my friends in and they'll be, they could play for their. <laughs> so, so I asked Anna if we could possibly get the opening slot. She's like, oh, I'll ask. She did and they said yes. <laughs> so it was, I think it was like an 11 piece band. Wow. And then Dia Davenport from the Brand New Heavies was a part of that. Okay. Okay. Bob Forrest from Thelonious Monster was there. Uh, I think Chris Dowd sang on it. And I believe it was, uh, I, I, it's hard for me to remember. No, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, but it, I, it, I think it was the drummer from Planet 10. Okay. Who was if, if we didn't talk about Planet Ten on this, but they were another on club band. Okay. Mm -hmm. cool. White, all white reggae band that I've we that we bonded with completely, mm -hmm. and became really good. Did a bunch of shows with. That was again another one of them. Cool. Okay. Like, like they were super influential to us, and and they shared a lot of music with us. They actually hipped us to uh, uh, the Blue Rhythm Band. Oh, yeah, okay. From the Midwest. Yeah, big movie. Yeah, Nancy Reagan. Right, yeah. That's you know, <laughs> so, so, uh, but, but, but anyway, uh, so that was probably 1987, I think. And then a year later, Vernon Reed called and he asked if Fishbone would open for Living Color at yeah. the Palace. Yeah. And at the time, Fishbone was selling out two nights in a row. I'm like, dude, Fishbone can't open for you on these shows. <laughs> but, but I could put together a Masai <laughs> There you go. So, you know, he, Vernon was like, cool. So we put it all together. And it's funny because the first Trulio show, Doug Wimbush, and the second one, the rest of Living Color, right? Wow. And now he's a member of that band. Yeah. Well, Skillin was the bassist back then. So um so so and Anna, me and Anna, we was joking the whole time because she's the guitarist girlfriend, right? She's like, yeah, I could be like like homegirl in in a spinal tap. I'm gonna stand on the side of the stage and smoke cigarettes, and we was cracking up at the whole thing, right? And so, I mean, because it was a it was like a joke from the beginning. We was just joking, clowning, and so you know, I started to pull together the band and I actually, I just said yes to everybody that asked to be in the band. <laughs> I, just didn't, I just didn't say no. And then eventually Anna started saying, it's too many people, you gotta say no. And then in the end she was like, it's 27 people, not one more person. 
Wow, that's orchestra. <laughs> yeah, so we capped it at 27 people. Because <laughs> I kept saying, yeah. Double orchestra. <laughs> and, and then Anna's like, well, we got to, let's do a warm up before we get to the Living Color, because I want to make sure the band is really good. So she got us a show at the club lingerie. And uh, the headlining band was a little band out of Seattle called Soundgarden. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> <clears throat> Incredible. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but, but and, and that was our warm up for Living Cup. Yeah. And that became the, the band that would be the golden era of Trulia. We just run around, play LA and just, yeah, you know, it was it was insane. Like you, you get you can understand twenty seven right. people right. in right. a band, you and, know, and basically on and off ever since. Pretty much, but it was it was strong on strong for a good stretch of years. And Anna, it was like I would come up with a bright idea, and Anna would make it reality. Yeah, you know, I was like. You know, we played a bunch in LA. Well, I think we need to go to San Francisco. Next thing you know, we booked in San Francisco <laughs> with a plan on how to make it happen. And we go to San Francisco a few times. Oh, I think we need to go east. Let's go to Arizona. Right, right. <laughs> Arizona. She was a door. Go to Arizona and go to San Francisco. Oh. Maybe we could see if we could do the whole West Coast, go to Seattle. Seattle, go. back. Anna made it happen. Eventually, like, I think we need to do the Rockies. I'm carrying 27 people. <laughs> Rockies, go to Colorado, go through the Rockies. Not to make any money with that, with that many members. Somehow, everybody got paid something on those runs. Yeah. Wow. Well, the next and then year. It peaked out in 1997. I'm like, I think it's time to do a nationwide tour. Mind you, we haven't released one bit of music. Wow. That, <laughs> I mean, that's a testament to your amazing stage shows, right? I mean, yeah. So, the musicians. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, nationwide. We, we talked to this guy, Gavin Hit was Fishbone's booking agent. So, Gavin's like, yeah, I'll do it. Him and Anna, plan, put it together, nationwide. And on that tour, I had the Skeletones, band called the Streetwalking Cheetahs, Thelonious mm -hmm. Monster, Keith Morris from the Circle Jerks, and John Fushante. Fresh, like John Fushante trying to get clean off of drugs. Wow. Right? Like I get a call yeah, one day, John's, John's trying to kick heroin and he wants to play music, which really, he was, you know, I'll support that. Yeah. yeah. Right? We did, we went nationwide. It was started with, I think, 37 people, two buses, three vans. And we got to New York and I had to let a couple people go because we were losing money. Mm -hmm. Of course. You know, 
you got yeah. very far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was that broke my heart to do that. I'm sure. Mm. Um, but again, like I'm talking like this, really, I'm talking about Anna. <laughs> she killed it. You yeah. know? Yeah. Huge, huge thanks to Anna for that. So 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 the the current, the current version of Trulio. Yes. Is how many, how many members? Um, the last, the last show I did, I think about 26 people showed up <laughs> to play with the band. Um, you know, I never know what's going to happen. Right. No right. rehearsal prior to showtime? No, we didn't rehearse for these, for that, for that. And, and, uh, fortunate, fortunately we've done it enough to where we I can see. and, I'm one of them people to where like I, I like to be a little under rehearsed sometimes because it just keeps like keeps you know good. everybody's really focused and trying to be good and when you got people that can play you know like it's like I I I don't like to rehearse Fishbone too much before a tour because the band evolves on tour. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It, there's a band that you get in the first five shows, begins to change show four, five, six, somewhere in there. Right. right. If you do, if you do 14 days in a row, day 12 is a totally different band than the first day. Mm. True, true. Like the yeah. band is on fire in a whole nother way. Right. I love that evolution. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. Even, even now. Even, even get, now. Yeah. It don't matter. The songs get played faster. The band gets tighter. Mm -hmm. Some Somehow, like, the, the, you know, the spaces in between, they, they, even though the song is faster, it seems like they're wider spaces because everybody's playing tighter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you get good at threading the needle. Yeah. You know. So it's it's a uh, you know like yeah observing music is is like in that respect is very different. The living, breathing, evolving. You know some some bands play like the album. There's nothing that I've ever done that was that. We <laughs> mm -hmm. always left room for evolution. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the power of uh, of a live set too. I mean, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to hear, if a person wants to hear a band, just like the album, you know, listen to the album, look at a photo, maybe. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you, you've always been part of um, bands and projects that are really a live spectacle. I mean, truly. Yes, absolutely. Like you know, be, because. My very first show was the Ohio Players in Graham Central Station. Wow, okay. You know, and I love the Ohio Players, but in my mind, it was a Graham Central Station show. Yeah. Right? Because Larry Graham and them just, ooh. And the second show I ever went to was uh, Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Yes. Both yes. at the Shrine Auditorium. Right. Right, the two two great first first concerts. 
Yeah, exactly. And then my father took me and my brother to go see Donald Byrd and the Blackbirds, Cameo, and Parliament Funkadelic at the at the uh, sports arena. Wow, that's a great bill. Right? Sold out show. Mothership yeah. landing. You know? Yeah. Wow. Flying up in the air, <laughs> shot the bop gun. You know what, what I mean? And I love Don Kirshner's rock concert and the Midnight Special, and that's where I saw Kiss, you know, and David Bowie. Yeah. I eventually saw David Bowie on the series Moonlight Tour, but, you know, yeah. which was yeah. a spectacle. I can imagine. You know, <laughs> right. yeah. you know, and seeing the specials on Saturday Night Live, right? Oh, that was a game like the game. The energy of that yeah. was out of control. Yep, the yep. Dance Craze movie and the decline of Western civilization. All yep. you got was intensity and energy you know like what like really you gonna watch bust the blood vessel and not move oh my gosh i know you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah really right Right. yeah um so so those those all of that fueled us yes yes um final final question what advice would you give and you i'm sure you've been asked this before but what advice would you give to to aspiring or, or, or new musicians or uh, you know new members of bands uh, because obviously you've been at this for so long? Um, any 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 advice that comes to mind? Um. Well, you know the younger generation has the benefits of the internet for better and for worse, right? The consequences of the internet Mm -hmm. for better and for worse, (laughs) Yes, right? Because I don't know how I would tell a young band to make money right now. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I'm fortunate, I have a legacy, you know? Yeah. But how money is made on the internet, I can't guide nobody that way. Um, But, you know, like I would say in any era, one, you got to have love in your heart. You got to, you got to, you got to love what you are doing. And the best case scenario is to love who you are doing it with. That is not a requirement, but boy, does it make the ride better. (laughs) It sure is a benefit, yeah, right? <laughs> a lot of amazing bands where members hate each other, and they you can go out and make legions of people happy. Not something to aspire to. Yeah, great, great point. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. So really, it starts. It starts with love in your heart, love of music. You really gotta love this. I. I was a lifer from the beginning. I always saw myself in my position now playing music. Wow. Now I might have dreamed that I might have a car collection, a private jet, <laughs> a mansion and a yacht, and going down the street with Elmer Fudd. You don't have those things? <laughs> I got a nice surfboard collection. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Any jetpacks? <laughs> but, 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 you know, like, 
the fact is, is that we came through punk rock and punk rock did not promise. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> well done, fortune. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I understood that completely. Yeah. So it was it was about love for me. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and you know, I like like I watched I watched I I watched this Aretha Franklin movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The other day. And uh not 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 respect, which I have yet to see, and I'm ashamed to say that, but the 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 genius series on Hulu, right? Okay. And I watched that and I'm like, dude, I am a big old cream puff softy inside, and I tear up when music is beautiful. You it, know? It hits you. Yeah. Yes. I will cry. And that's the reaction. Yes. When, oh, the summer of soul. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I yes. cried. I was, my mother's like, you gotta watch this. You gotta watch this. Powerful. I sat down at my mother's, I sat down at my mother, me and my mother's watching this. I'm sitting there going like, I'm trying to hold back these tears. I don't wanna cry right now. I don't wanna cry. <laughs> Because the music is yeah, powerful. It's a powerful, powerful music, powerful moments in that. True. And I'm like, True. you know, and I get the historical <laughs> lens through which all of it is filtered from sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. when I could be listening to the funkadelic maggot brain and or, or be some BB King, you know, and my brain goes to, you know, the first motherfucking African that got picked up off the continent and taken into slavery. The, you know, the autumn ships, the middle passage, the shit that motherfuckers had to survive mm-hmm. to do this. Yep. Yep. You know, my, my, I feel all of that. When I when I hear some sometimes I hear music and I I it, it's just like man how this the, the the what it took to get here you know the African American experience mm-hmm. it gives us the the foundation to most of the popular music as we know it 100%. right worldwide. Worldwide. And and it's it's feeling that that brings me to tears. Right, right. Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's just the beauty of the music. Right. Like I listen, or imagine I, what, what those artists were going through when they were recording. Yeah. 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 I get welled up with emotion when I listen to Kate Bush. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, like she moves me. Sure. Right. Yeah. So that's a different experience, but it's it's amazing. Yeah. Well, interesting. On on, on that on note, that, yeah, on yeah. That note, um, you know, my good friend uh, Professor Entungela from Masalela, uh, Masalela from South Africa said that the African Americans and the South Africans, southern part of Africa, uh, are the most soulful singers because of their apartheid, sheer apartheid experience. Yeah, it's come uh, true to that. Yeah, it's why 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 the cage bird sings, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's, it's, and, and I'm like, so 
you know, in life, you, 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 if you're fortunate, you get to a point to where you could look back over all your experiences and appreciate the pain that you had to walk to to get where you are, right? Yeah. You can, you, because you survived, mm-hmm. right? And we, 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 we acquire strength and we are damaged by it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Traumatized. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, you, you get to a point where you can look back and you go like, you know, you could look back and you go like, it took all of that for me to be talking to you guys right now, you know? And my optimism says that the world, no matter what we're going through or how horrible it looks, the trajectory is toward better. Yeah. Agreed. That's a great way to end. That's a perfect way to end. What a fitting ending. Norwood, give out your uh, your website if you if you would please. All right. Yeah. Well, the the uh, the one that I'm growing right now the most is Norwood Lessons. Uh, and and uh, yep, I got some bass lessons and I got some t-shirts and I'm about to drop a new t-shirt. Ooh, nice. Uh, pretty soon, you know, I appreciate people that resonated with being human as a full-time job. Yes. People showed up and bought that one. And you know, yeah, I'm doing bass lessons online. Nice. And actually, you know, this is about my seventh year. So I was ready for COVID. You know, when the music industry bottomed out, I just started saying, hey, I'm over sure. here giving bass lessons. When you buy your kid a new instrument, I'm here for them if you get oh, a bass. They're, they're learning right. from one of the best, too. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and your diversity, your diversity in the music, I think, really helps. It goes a long way, too. Yeah, and, and hey, keep your ear to the ground for, for the familyhood next experience. Okay, next experience. Like, yes, it's, it's, it's based in dub. I got two tracks completed. Okay. And uh, my intention is to release them this year, but I'm re- planning on recording more. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's based in dub, the, and, and like it's really an all improv live dub thing. Nice. Is, is what it's born of. But okay. making records, I've craft things, right? So, I got I got one track that has a uh uh it 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 has uh Jack Manis mm-hmm. uh uh Jonas Cabre- Jonas Cabrera from the Skeletons yeah. and Jesse yeah. Wagner from the Aberlights. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Also yeah. names in Los yes, Angeles. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. True. With with uh Jesse Green who Played at the time she was playing violin with the Foo Fighters. She's now playing with Pink. Oh wow! Okay. Jesse Green on violin. Yeah. Um, Anthony First Class from the English Beat. Excellent. Uh, 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 Beebs Money, Beebs and her Money Makers. Okay. And uh, uh, and I got actually I think I got a. Uh, uh, 
Paul Hampton from the Skeletons on oh, the keyboards. Nice. You know, got a, a track with all, with all of that happening on it. Nice. You know, and uh, uh, so so yeah, I'm I'm, okay. I'm 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 looking to launch that this this year as soon as possible. Okay. Well, tracks are completed, mixed, and actually, uh, 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 uh. Now I'm I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> anyway, fishbone.net. I, I forgot that. You could find me Woody Woodstraw on on uh, Instagram. Yes. Which that's another project of mine. Woody Woodstraw is my alter ego. Okay. Right? It's yeah. Woody, the whole thing is Woody Woodstraw, the devil's son-in-law. Right? <laughs> okay. You know, you just and Woody Woodstraw was. He married all six of the devil's daughters. Okay. It made him the sole heir to the throne of hell. And he didn't really want that job when he married all of them. He was just, he was, was handed to him. <laughs> he was looking for the ultimate pleasure. You know what I mean? And he got right? it right. <laughs> and then he was like, oh no, my father-in-law. <laughs> put him in a permanent chase scene because he really ain't looking to do that gig. Right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, okay. just, I, I began to record that as well. Nice. Well, <laughs> plenty, plenty of projects. And uh, again, thank you for uh, for your many years of, uh, of, of service and creativity. And thank you for, for being a part of this interview. I uh, really appreciate you guys having me. And, you know, like, like uh, and this, the, the music will continue on. Sky, yes, reggae. Soul, oh, yeah. funk, funk, it all, and and it it, you know, and, and that's the other thing. Like when when I listen to the specials, mm -hmm. like actually you hear them doing some of everything. Sure, yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Some of that, like they 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 did it too. You know, mm -hmm. like there's some there's some times where I'm listening to him like that's kind of Rolling Stones ish, right? right you know, right, right. kind of punky Rolling Stones ish. The same landscape, England, right? Yeah, Ho Horace doing doing them octaves, like you know, mm -hmm. had some of it, some of the disco feel of that sure. time, you yeah, know. Okay. Like they was incorporating different things, man. It's, yeah. it's at the end of the day, it's all just music. <laughs> Yeah. And and ultimately, that's really what what I'm gonna leave at this one. What what does it mean to be fully expressed? What can can a child be fully artistically expressed today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I hope I paved the way for that child, whoever he is, without a doubt, whoever yeah. she is. Yes, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Big, you know, big, big love and big respect to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Yes, yes, it is. All right, y'all. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Junior, I want to thank each and everyone. Thank you, Eric. Uh, please follow us, History of Alaska, on Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, and join our Facebook program, our Facebook group, rather. And please follow me at uh, Junior Francis. Uh, this series is produced by my good friend here, Eric Kohler. 
for Rockery Radio. And please follow at Rockery underscore radio on Instagram for fresh rock rhythm, soul, and Jamaican music inspired playlist that comes out how often? Daily. Daily. Junior, thank you for all your service as well. Both of you guys are working hard like Firefly. And actually, one last thing. You know, I saw you in a concert. Where was it again, Eric? The John Anson Ford. Eric Theater. took me there. And I only saw two songs. I've not seen you since. That was, uh, my gosh, when my I was at my own knee. Been so long. So right. I to catch you in concert. Two songs. And it blew my mind. I said, I couldn't pigeonhole you into any genre, but the energy was unbearably wicked. Absolutely. <laughs> that was, that, I know that era. Like it was, you know, the John Anson Ford was a oh, time. And yeah, we was... He was on fire for we're gonna, sure. Uh, we're going to yes. see you live again. To my sorrow, I've seen you guys since. Oh, we'll right. we'll, we'll, do it. well yeah. thank you, uh, everyone, for your support and listening and, and watching. Norwood, all the best to you. Take care of yourself. Thanks Give for best you guys. Absolutely. I had a I had a blast with y'all. No, thank, thank you. you. We did too. All right. all right. Take care, everyone. Right. Bye. Much love. Bye bye.